Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. Hi, everybody. This is Dan and Andrew, and we'd like to thank you for listening to our latest episode of Hello, Old Sports. This is another one of our random team episodes. You may remember that about a half a year ago, about sometime earlier this year, we did the 1981-82 Utah Jazz, and we had so much fun there that we thought we'd give it another shot. So, Andrew, are you ready to see who we're going to be doing next? It will be funny if it's the same team again. Um, but uh, we, we will we will not do that. Um, it's interesting because I, I know we're going to put this on the top of the episode that we're going to record on this team. And as we're speaking at this moment, not only do I not know anything about this team, I don't even know what team it's going to be. And then by the time this two hour block or whatever is over, I will be an expert or at least passable on whatever this team is. So and also all of you listeners, you since you clicked on this episode, whenever that is December, January, whenever we get it posted, you know exactly who we're going to talk about. And we here on November the 9th have no idea. So I can't remember the order we did this in last year. Did we do the sport first or the year first? We did the sport first. Although, but yeah, because we don't know. I mean. We want to base the year on the sport because if it's baseball, we'd be fine going back to the 20s or wherever. But for basketball, obviously, unless we want to do the red man tobaccos, we wouldn't be able to go back that far. So I think what we did last time is we went baseball, basketball, football, sort of alphabetical one, two, three. So I have our random number generator up. This one, first one will be one through three. MLB is one. NBA is two. NFL. Phil is three, right? All right. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Generate and the number is three. So we will be doing an NFL team. What do we want to make the year parameters here? So we're talking NFL now. Let's go 1950 because I feel like that was when the two, the AFC, AAFC and the NFL merged. We did an episode on that earlier this year. And I feel like that's kind of like where the modern NFL kind of sort of began. So let's go with and that. What, what, um, what would the later bracket be? 2000, 2010, what? Let's just go 2021. 2021. Yeah, okay. just do, the, do the, the, the duration. If we get a 2020 and it's a bad team, I'm just going to talk about COVID football the whole thing. <laughs> um, all right. 1950, 2021. We are hitting the button now. 2007. <laughs> That's just, imagine <laughs> it's we seven Giants or Patriots. That's going to be great. All right. So a little preview for you folks. And who knows, depending on our editing, this episode might actually air after that one. But we talked about um, what we're going to do at the holidays when we're together. We're going to do a live our first ever live watch along of Super Bowl 42 15 years ago between the Giants and the Patriots, which was the 2007 season. So we're going to be really talking a lot of 2007 NFL. So what are let you? Me, let me pull up uh, the NFL standings for that year. I'm going to, I just want to, what we did last time is I did it by conference mm-hmm. and then one through 16 was, you know, the AFC and one through or we, we did like East West for the NBA. Yeah. Tell me what your, what website you're using so I can look at it too. Okay, so I pulled up Pro Football Reference. I'm going to see if I can get this sorted by conference. I guess it really doesn't matter. I'll just go by division. Right? Yeah, so we're going by division from the first place team in the AFC East, which was the Patriots, all the way down to the mm. fourth place team in the NFC West, which was the St. Louis Rams. So when we do the number, it's not going to be the record or anything. It's just going to be where they are in this list. It would be funny if it's the 07 Cowboys because I could ask my friend Mike if he would want to do it with me, but he will absolutely think I'm just trolling him. Um, <laughs> all right. So 32 teams in the NFL in 2000, one through 32 all loaded in. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. We got, you know, you got a, you got a Peyton Manning Colts team. You got Roethlisberger with the Steelers, 
Favre's last year with the Packers, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers were Cleveland Browns 10 and six that year. I can't even say I remember that. So you've got a lot of Redskins. The Redskins were not in the playoffs that year. Oh, yes, they were. Redskins, a playoff team that year. They were wild card. So you got a lot of a lot of stuff, a lot of a lot of interesting potentials here. So why don't you go ahead? So if it's 18, that would be the Giants, just based on what I know. So and one would be the Patriots. 30. So that would be whoever came in second in the NFC West. We are going to do an episode on the 2007 Arizona Cardinals who went eight and eight under Ken Wisenhunt. But you know what? This would be an, this will be an interesting thing because then next year they go to the Super Bowl. Yep. And this was um, was this was Leinert a rookie that year? Wait, let's not talk about it too much. But this the, the quarterbacks were Warner and Leinert and Edgar and James was on that team. So uh, Fitzgerald, I believe, was probably with them. But that by that point, yep, Fitzgerald was there. He might have been a rookie that year. Fitzgerald, he was 24. So he probably wasn't. No, he'd been. This is like his fourth year in the league. So interesting it's not really this is not a deep dive into history it might have been a little more fun to do it you know the the 1977 cardinals because we'd learn some things but this will be you know the whole th- this is we'll, i mean if we'll get an hour out of it that's that that's the point of these if we start gimmicking it too much then it kind of loses the point you know what i mean like oh wow no let's go later than that or something like that so we stick with the 07 cardinals yeah, and this is uh, George Carlin used to have a line when you'd go to see his comedy shows. He'd say, "People, I'm here for me. You're here for me. <laughs> Nobody cares what you think." And so that is not necessarily the case for our, uh, you know, small community of podcast listeners. But I will admit that this is definitely one that's kind of just as much about Andrew and I having a little bit of a challenge and a little bit of a fun. And then as opposed to thinking that there's an episode that everybody's just going to love. So this, that's what we're doing. And interestingly, we're doing. interestingly enough, George Collins was actually the assistant GM of the 07 Cardinals. He was still alive. He didn't die to the following year. So, all right, well, we are going to cut this clip off in a second. And when we come back, we will magically know a lot more about the 2007 Arizona Cardinals than we do at the moment. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, stay tuned. Just keep that uh, keep that player playing and we will uh, you'll hear a lot about the 2007 Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Talk to you guys soon. All right. And hello, old sports and welcome to the Hello Old Sports podcast. You heard us just a few seconds ago drawing the name at random of the 2007 Arizona Cardinals and Andrew and I have done some research and we are ready to tell you everything that you might need or want to know about the 07 Cardinals. Andrew, how you doing? I am good. Um, I believe I talked a few minutes ago, which was really a few weeks ago, about how magically we would uh, cut this and 10 seconds later know a lot more about uh, the team we were covering. And I do. I don't know how... (laughs) We certainly don't. You said we'll tell you everything you need to know. Nobody needs to know any of this. If you've gotten this far in the last 15 years without needing any, without needing to know any of this, I'm going to guess it's not going to become more important as time goes on. Um, you know, we'll do sort of, if you haven't seen uh, the, or listen to the first episode we did like this on the 81, 82 jazz, you know, we will use this season as a jumping off point for discussions around the time, the team, the characters, we're not going to go game by game and analyze. Oh, and then in the third quarter of this game, they, you know, went three and out four times in a row. But, you know, it's uh, these are sort of different kind of episodes. And once every quarter or so, I feel like it's a it's a good um, exercise for us. So. Before we start, I just want to make one little announcement, which is that very soon we are going to begin recording our 2022 In Memoriam episodes where we commemorate the lives and the legacy of various sports figures, luminaries who passed away in the previous year. Anybody, whether it's Bill Russell or Len Dawson or Maury Wills or 
anybody else, Clark Gillies of the old Islanders. And so if there's anybody out there that you in the listening audience uh, find particularly meaningful, feel free to drop us a line. Hello, old sports at gmail.com or shoot us a message on our Facebook page. And we will have you on talk about uh, anybody who you thought was particularly important to you in the, the past away in 2022 in the world of sports. And we've got a number of, I think about almost a half dozen of our colleagues from the sports history network, uh, planning to come on with us to talk about various individuals. So check those episodes out when they post. And if you're interested in being a part of it, you know how to reach us before then it is time to get into the 2007 Cardinals. And I think one of the issues that I had with this, and it's a heck of a way to start something. But one of the things that really kind of jumped out is that the league is not that much different than it was, you know, than it is now. And so when we did the 82 Jazz, that's 40, 40 years ago now. So we were kind of able to look at it. No, and be like, that okay. was like two months ago. <laughs> All right, go ahead. It was 40 years ago. And so like a lot of it was like talking about like what the league was like and how the structure was different. Maybe how the playoff structure was a little different. And, you know, obviously with, um, you know, with the NFL, we could have gone all the way back to 1950, I think was where we drew the line. So if we had gotten a team in the 50s, 60s, even the 70s, we could have explained a lot more with sort of the flavor of the league. But the NFL now is basically pretty similar to the NFL in 2007. 32 teams, eight divisions, four per conference. There's one extra playoff team, but, you know, pretty much every part of the NFL, I guess maybe the TV broadcasts are a little more advanced, but they still had replay then. There's very little different. You know, there's a few guys, at least, at least one in Tom Brady, who was in the league then, who's still playing now. It's, it's It's not long ago enough to sort of be different, you know? Yeah, the uh, really the only I mean, the Rams, Chargers and Raiders have all moved, but they're still in the same division. They're still the same team. The rate Chargers, you know, moved just a couple hours away. The Raiders have moved so often it really doesn't matter. Uh, and the Rams went back to L.A. So, yeah, the, the league is is the same structurally. You know, I think Roger Goodell was maybe in his second year as commissioner, first or second year as commissioner. He was he was a new commissioner, not that any of that comes up in this uh there's no real controversy surrounding the Arizona Cardinals in this year. So yeah, it's um it's funny cuz it's like it's weird for me to say this is not a year I have a lot to talk say about cuz I have tons and tons to say about the 2007 my favorite team of all time as a fan and my favorite moments happened in this year and as I was looking to try to shoehorn some of that into this the thing that's interesting, and, and we touched on this very briefly when we talked today, as I was looking at who the Cardinals played in the NFC West, um, you know, the, the teams they played in the division and then the, the rest of the teams they played. And I was thinking to myself, okay, if you were going to tell the story of the 2007 NFL season, who are the most essential teams you would need to discuss? So obviously the Giants win the Super Bowl. The Patriots go 16 and 0. You have a really, really good Cowboys team that goes 13 and 3. It's Tony Romo's first full year as a starter. The whole Jessica Simpson thing with him. Um, the Packers, as Brett Favre's last year as a Packer, they get to the NFC chip game. Um, even the Chargers get to the AFC championship game. If you go to the other uh side of the coin, uh, even the Dolphins went one in fifteen. They played none of these teams. They did not interact with any of them. They played four playoff teams, which when you think about it, you have to play at least three playoff teams. Yeah, because you ha- you, you're going to play at least three division winners because you play every team in three different divisions. That's a good point. That's a good point. So you're going to play at least three three playoff winners. They played four. None of them, three of them lost in the wild card round, one lost in the second round. So really, they you could absolutely tell the story of the 2007 NFL season without mentioning the Arizona Cardinals, but we're not and, going to. No, we're going to tell the story of the 2000, uh, Arizona, 2007 Arizona Cardinals without telling the story of the rest of the NFL, which is a harder task. I found yeah. they had the easiest schedule, according to Pro Football Reference, the easiest schedule since the 1965 Philadelphia Eagles. 
They had the easiest strength of schedule in 42 years. So when you talk about all these great teams they didn't play, now you understand what was going on there. But they never played a team that had a, uh, that finished any better than 10 and 6 in any of their 16 games. Um, so just to, to sort of get the demographic information out of the way, the Cardinals go eight and eight this year. So, you know, right definition of mediocrity, but to be honest, is probably one of the better St. Louis or excuse me, better Arizona Cardinal seasons in quite a while at eight and eight. Um, it's Ken Wisenhunt's first year. The year before had been the Denny Green's last year with the Cardinals. And we're going to talk about some of the history of sort of the St. Louis I guess I don't know how much we're going to need to go back to Chicago, but the St. Louis, Phoenix, Arizona Cardinals. We're going to talk about some of that. The year before that had been the end of the Dennis Green era. They went five and eleven. Uh, one of the most famous moments of, of really the last twenty five years in the NFL, like press, where the Bears were playing. The Bears who went on to go to the Super Bowl that year were playing the Cardinals on a Monday night game. And the Cardinals blew a big lead, and that's the famous, the Bears are who we thought they were aligned, and he was smacking the podium, and uh, really- We let him off the hook. His tenure was over at that point. It was just, he was, I mean, you kind of have to fire a guy after that. They lost that game, and I remember watching this game. It was a Monday night game. The Mm. Cardinals, late in the third quarter, had a 20-3 to I'm sorry, a 23 to three lead. And then the bears all in the course of with two seconds left, the bears get a three yard defensive fumble return for a touchdown. And then with five minutes left in the fourth quarter, they get a 40 yard defensive fumble return. And then Devin Hester returns a punt for 83 yards with 258 left to make the final score or with the extra point to make the final score 24 to 23. And the Bears, who hard to believe with what was going on with the Bears for the last 30 or so years, but the Bears were the best team in the NFL at that point in the 2006 season. Like I said, I remember watching this game, and then Dennis Green goes and gives this press conference where he sort of yells incoherently. And if you think about it, you kind of understand what he's saying, but he, he that something is not firing with his um, ability to be articulate. And he's saying, they are who we thought they are. If you want to crown them, then crown their ass. But we let him off the hook. And so and then he just kind of walks away. Then he just kind of left. And I was like, oh, I guess there's there's no more explanation needed. <laughs> but and that's what's funny, too, is that had we done 06 or 08, we'd have a lot more there. But this is 07. So, yeah, Green gets fired at the end of the year and they bring in Ken Wisenhunt, who where had he been? Pittsburgh, I think, was where he had been an assistant coach. Pittsburgh. He's a Pittsburgh guy, yeah. I don't know what his specific role it was. I'm going to pull that up right now, but he had been one of the top assistants under, uh, I guess, under Cower, which would have made sense because 07 would have been Tomlin's first year with the Steelers. So it would make sense that he probably, after not getting that job, would have left for... He'd actually only been in, he'd been in Pittsburgh six years. The last three is the offensive coordinator, um, under Bill Cower, and then he leaves and goes to Sandy or goes to Arizona to become the head coach. And he's actually there from 07 to 12. So by far their longest tenure coach up to that point in quite a while. So they're eight and eight. Wisenhunt is the head coach. The offensive coordinator is Todd Haley, who would later be a head coach in the NFL in his own right. The defensive coordinator is a guy I've never heard of a guy by the name of Clancy Pendergast, who sounds like an 1880s railroad baron, but was the Cardinals defensive coordinator. Did did you see two of the guys on their staff on their offensive staff? I know one of them was Maurice Carthon. Who was the other? Jeff Rutledge, Jeff Rutledge, the Phil Sims backup in the 1986 uh, in Super Bowl 21 in 1986. So yeah, I don't know who knows. Maybe there's some sort of weird, Weird Giants tie there somewhere down the coaching tree. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I think the other thing I would mention, and I found this in an article uh, from a website known as RaisingZona.com. So Raising and then, you know, Zona is in Arizona.com. The owner is Bill Bidwell, and he is this is the first year that he gives control of his team over to his son, Michael, Michael Bidwell. 
And Michael, I believe, is he still the principal owner today? I think he might be. I, I believe the Bidwell family is still the owners, and I was going to talk a little about them, but I think he's still the principal owner. And, and this article I read talked about how that was kind of a turning point for the franchise because, as you may, Michael Bidwell's tenure as owner, uh, he's the principal owner and chairman of the Arizona Cardinals. He took over in 2007, and that this has kind of been the best era for the Cardinals, you know, in probably in, in 75 years. And you, maybe you'll talk a little bit about that in the beginning, but everybody kind of looks at that turning of the reins from the father over to the son as the turning point for the franchise. And they go on, make the Super Bowl a year later, only Super Bowl in franchise history. They start to, you know, make playoff appearances on some sort of a consistent basis. And, Kind of a little bit with the new coach, with the new guy in the in the lead in ownership, taking the lead. You sort of see the seeds of change in what had been a very moribund franchise just start to be sown just a little bit. So did you want to maybe get into a little bit of kind of the history of this team a little bit? Yeah, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time back in Chicago in the 20s, but we'll we'll touch on a couple of things. And, and the, the reason, you know. When I was up, really up until 2007, this was the last year of this. The, the, the last 15 years, the Cardinals have been probably a below average franchise, but still that's a lot better than what they were. When I was growing up, when people talked about terrible franchises and more specifically terrible owners, the guys they would talk about was they would talk about Donald Sterling, the late, the former Clippers owner. Um, they would talk about the Brown family, the Cincinnati Bengals owners, because of how cheap they were. Um, they would talk about the Bidwells. And then I remember hearing a lot about Mark Schott just because of controversial figure she was. But like that was always, oh yeah, the, the Cardinals owners out there, it's a joke of a franchise, whatever. Um, the Bidwells had actually Bill Bidwell, and it gets really confusing with different adoptions and divorces and ex-wives and things like that. But we'll start basically, Charles Bidwell uh, took over as the owner of the Chicago Cardinals in 1933. He'd been a minority owner of the Bears. He wanted to buy, buy out George Hallis, was not able to do so, took over the Chicago Cardinals and was the owner of the Cardinals until uh, I believe his death in 1947 when Bill Bidwell took over the team. They ultimately move from Chicago to St. Louis. Really not very successful. Um, I think they had a couple of playoff appearances in the 70s, maybe like 74 and 75. And then they might have made the playoffs in that weird 82 season, that strike season. They did, in fact, make it in 82, which we talked about in another episode recently on 1982 in sports. They were five and four and they lost the wild card game to Green Bay, 41 to 16. So not close. No, and not to a, you know, to a, a Green Bay team that I think was five and four as well. Not really any better. Um, so where we'll sort of pick up 1987, the Cardinals who are, you know, they're they're in St. Louis. They've only been there 15, 17 years. They're not. They're a very distant second to the Cardinals, the other Cardinals in that city. They leave. And I have a UPI article from January 15th of 1988. Uh, by Lisa Harris. Uh, so St. Louis Cardinals owner Bill Bidwell, lured by a lucrative package of $17 million annually and the promise of a new stadium, announced Friday that he will move his NFL team to Phoenix, ending a bidding war among four cities. Would you like to guess what some of those other cities were? St. Louis was one of them. I'll, I'll, I'll say St. Louis was one of them. So St. Louis so was one. St. Louis, yeah, St. Louis, staying in St. Louis, going to Arizona, and there were two other cities. Um, this is late eighties, right? Like 88, you said? Yeah. 80, 87, 88. Yeah. Um, bu, 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 I guess bu, bu. more 87 because they announced in January of 88. Uh, I'm guessing one of them was Carolina, Charlotte. You're very close. Not necessarily geographically, but that should be a hint. Jacksonville. The other and, one's not Carol. Um, now, Jacksonville would get a team in the next round of, uh, expansion um in started play in i believe 94 or 95 but you know it was announced in the early 90s no it was a it was a city that didn't have a team and does now city that didn't have a team and does now didn't have a team in 1988 and has a team now vegas 
Baltimore. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Baltimore was kind of the Tampa of the it NFL. Been funny ended up with another St. Louis team. <laughs> that's right. St. Louis Browns. That's a good point. Um, yeah, yeah, I think Instead, Bo- have, it used to be the Browns, but yeah, no, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, that's right. They've gotten two Browns have moved to Baltimore. I'm sure that point has been raised by others, but I don't know if it ever occurred to me. So interesting. Yes. Um, so anyway, so long story short, they move, said the league requires 21 to 28, blah, blah, blah. Did that same year, by the way, the Raiders had, um, when it talked about it, they were the last team to move since the Raiders, the Raiders didn't have approval. They just moved. That was so when they moved to LA, right? They moved to LA. Um, basically Bidwell had said that, uh, hard time for me. You can't fight city hall franchise cannot be competitive while playing in Bush stadium, the second smallest in the NFL, et cetera, et cetera. The other piece of that that I glossed over in there, and this will bring us a little more up to present day, was they said um, the promise of building a new stadium. This was in 1988. Now, what happened was the um, savings and loan crash or some sort of early 90s financial downturn Mm -hmm. basically do any prospect of that happening. So for 15 years, the Cardinals played more than 15 years, they played at Sun Devil Stadium where the Arizona State team, so they were a tenant to a college team, which in the 70s was fine. The Dolphins were winning Super Bowls playing at the Orange Bowl, which was really the, you know, the Miami Hurricane Stadium. Uh, you know, you hear about teams playing at if the LA Coliseum. I the Rams, yeah, the Rams played at the Coliseum forever. Temporary, but the Rams played at the Coliseum um, the Raiders were playing at the Coliseum at this point, but were causing a stink about it and ended up moving back to Oakland. Um, then the Cowboys play at Rice for a while or the Cotton Bowl before Texas Stadium. So anyway, it happened not in the mid 90s. And I remember watching Cardinals games because they were in the NFC East and it was empty. Nobody cared. So the finally in February of 01, the new stadium for the, this uh, article from the, the Phoenix newspaper at the time. The new stadium for the Arizona Cardinals will be built in Tempe. This was an announcement in early 2001, just a mile from where the team now plays. I guess there'd been an argument between whether they would play downtown or out in Tempe where they ended up building the stadium. Um, So they end up with uh, in Tempe. It's an interesting, there's an interesting article here. Or it's just funny to see this quote where it says the people of Maricopa County should be listened to. It's just weird to hear the words Maricopa County in any other context but modern day elections. That's true. Because it's just just any somebody talking about the saying the words Maricopa County that's not followed with like the the late returns from Maricopa County. Um so anyway, uh they get this they get uh, the agreement in 2001, so after they'd already been there for 13 years to get the stadium built. And you have to believe if they'd been better in that time frame, that would have gone faster. You know what I mean? Um, well, you, you raise an interesting point too. First of all, you talked about the NFC East. It's amazing that they were allowed to stay in the NFC East for as long as they were. I guess they really didn't do sort of, you know, like division realignment in those days, but still you'd have, Three teams that literally were could not be confused for anything but East Coast teams in Philly, the Giants, and Washington. And then Dallas, who was always going to be in the NFC East and had such a strong rivalry with all three of those teams. And then just to have the Cardinals in that division was always just really, really weird that they were there. And they stunk, so it was almost like they weren't there. I, I cannot stress enough, and this goes back to when they were in St. Louis, but like you think about the 80s and the 90s in the NFC East and all those stories, and it rotated. You know, it was in the late, in the early 80s and the late 70s, it was the Cowboys and it was Washington and Philly, and then the Giants got good and it was Philly and Washington, and then it was Philly and the Giants and or Philly and the Eagles and the, you know, it was, they all kind of rotated. There was a fifth team in that division the whole time that you basically just played twice and it was taken for granted. You would beat them twice. Like I have DVDs of giant seasons where they're just like, they go game by game and it's like, and then after beating Arizona, they would turn their attention. They don't even show the highlights of those games. Cause it was just, they were the shorthand for a bad franchise in the NFL. When I was a kid, 
was the Cardinals. That's who you said when you were looking for a bad team to mention. They had um, one year where they made the playoffs. So was it 98? I think it was. Yeah, and they actually beat the Cowboys in the in the first round. They finished a wi- as a wild card. They beat the Cowboys in the first round and then got their butts kicked in the second round by, I don't know if it was San Francisco or Green Bay, but it was, you know, or it might have been Minnesota, actually, if it was 98. But that was like their one playoff run between 1982 and 2008 was that. Yeah, and this was the year that the NFC East was kind of bunched up because Dallas was 10 and 6, the Cardinals were 9 and 7, and the Giants were in, were 8 and 8. So, and that was their one, that was their one shot at it. So, so in 2007, sort of bringing us back to the present day from an organizational standpoint, this was their second year uh, in what at the time was known as University of Phoenix Stadium is now known as State Farm Stadium. Um, This is the building that sort of was a state of the art stadium, which you would expect when it's built, um, had the slide out field is you know it's a retractable roof stadium it's actually in 07 it was where the super bowl was played between the giants and the patriots at the end of the season it's still a gold standard stadium for and some of this has to do with the climate in arizona but not only do they get super bowls they i have it right written right here it's an arena that gets stuff and what i mean by that is sort of the big the final four the college football national championship or BCS game, you know, whatever error we're talking about the huge college football championships at the end of the year, they get WrestleManias, which, you know, if you're not a wrestling fan, you might think that that doesn't belong in this category, but in the terms of it's a thing that is vied for by multiple cities and fills the arena up with 80 to 90,000 people. It is a get and Arizona for all of those things, Super Bowls, final fours, college football, playoff games, and WrestleMania, they are in the rotation every couple of years. They get one of those things. So this was not coincidentally when they moved into this building, they started becoming a more respectable franchise. And I would be willing to bet, and I will look this up now. My guess is they're probably one of the places that's getting a World Cup game in four years. The only thing, and I'll check that. Yeah, because it's grass. Yeah. So what was revolution? And we will get to the 07 team and players in a minute, but. Um, it was the, the it was sort of a thing of okay they're gonna that was the other thing I remember watching games at Sun Devil Stadium on TV I've never been there but the field always looked like crap because they were sharing it with a college team it was a grass field what they did here is okay we're gonna have we're gonna play on grass and we're gonna play in a retractable roof stadium but what we're gonna do is on a tray they basically slide the field out. Super Bowl 42 DVD I have on the Giants refers to it as a magic carpet, but it basically just slides out like you'd slide a tray out of your oven <laughs> and the field, the field sits outside for six days and then they wheel it back in for, uh, for the game on Sunday. Um, and you might see more, it's kind of a, a topic that's germane to what we're talking to or to this day, you know, literally this moment as the players union in the NFL in the year 2022 is pushing for a lot of these stadiums to move to grass fields. You might see more of that kind of a system. And I was wrong. They're not getting a world cup game. The other thing that's interesting um, about that might have to do with heat. And that's a good point. Even if they, even if they can play that in a dome, it's still Arizona in July. They might not be, you know what I mean? And I'm looking here. They were known. The stadium was known as University of Phoenix Stadium. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't because the University of Phoenix played there or owned it. You know what the University of Phoenix is? It's a it's a it's one of those uh, for profit schools, right? Online schools. Yeah. For profit online schools. So I don't know if I ever even occur. I don't I don't know if that ever even occurred to me that like that wasn't where the, the University of Phoenix, who probably doesn't even have a football team. If, they, if they're an online school, they probably don't have a football team, but th- that's just they so don't. weird. That never even occurred to me, you know, and I probably heard that name, a, you know, dozens of, t- dozens of times that that wasn't actually because a college played there. That was a naming rights the same as, you know, Minute Maid or, you know, some crypto company that's out of business now. So I never knew that. It's interesting. Yeah. And it was, you know, it and for their credit, it stayed that for a long time. And then. You know, now it's State Farm, but it's not like one of those stadiums that's changed a hundred times in its first five years of uh, of existence. But I, I think that can't be overstated that that's a big um, a big factor in uh, 
in the Cardinals and they don't own that stadium, but you know, that's the, you know, they're the main tenants of that stadium and people associate that stadium with the Cardinals compared to before when they played at a college football stadium and not all that well. And usually in front of tons of empty seats. Before we go on, I should just give a plug. You talked about the Chicago Cardinals a little bit. Josie Emba, who is a podcast colleague of ours on the Sports History Network, he hosts the When Football Was Football podcast, and it is almost entirely about the days of the Chicago Cardinals. And he's written a couple of books on the Chicago Cardinals, including one that was just published about a month ago. That's about, I think it's called Football's Oldest Rivalry, and it's about the rivalry between the Bears and the Cardinals in Chicago, but then also after that, and he's going to be coming on the In Memoriam episode to talk to us about Charlie Trippi, who was a star running back and quarterback for the Chicago Cardinals in 1947 when they won their last ever championship and just died this year at like 100 or 101 years of age. So Joe's going to be coming on to talk to us about Charlie Trippi uh, throughout the course of the In Memoriam episode. So if you haven't gotten enough Cardinals history, you'll get a little bit there. But I guess maybe we should talk a little bit about this season kind of such as it was. Yep. And I want to talk about going into this, you know, some of the personnel there's a late in his career, Edgar and James, you got Anquan Bolden early in his career, Larry Fitzgerald, a few years into his career, who's, you know, on his way to a, a hall of fame career and, and an all pro and, and on defense, a, a famous name you'd recognize is Antrell roll. Uh, also Darnell Dockett is on the team, but where we should start is, the quarterback thing. And I think what we should start with, although it takes place a couple years earlier, is the situation that surrounded Kurt Warner becoming a Cardinal. And it really is remarkable to talk about basically Kurt Warner's entire career between 2002 and 2007. And then the fact that he had some of the best years of his career after that is pretty remarkable, given where he was at this point in his career trajectory. So Kurt Warner had been, uh, you know, like we all know, had been sort of come out of nowhere, won a Super Bowl with the Rams in 1999 after taking over. And I think week two after Trent Green got hurt, wins the MVP, they win the Super Bowl. He's, he's sort of the, the story that's on everybody's mind for a year, the whole greatest show on turf in 2001, the Rams are back in the Super Bowl. Big upset by the, you know, by the Patriots, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, right after 9-11, et cetera. And Warner uh, wins MVP Warner. in both of those years, 99 and 2001, both of their Super Bowl years. He's MVP of the NFL. The next year, um, he gets hurt quite a bit. There's a quarterback controversy in the ensuing year or so with Mark Bulger. Um in St. Louis. Mike Martz is now the coach and actually has been since 2001. But um Warner and him have a falling out. Warner is essentially told that his time with the Rams is coming to a close. Signs for a year with the Giants in 2004. This is Tom Coughlin's first year with the Giants. Uh, They had drafted Eli Manning first overall. Warner starts the first nine games of the season. I will not dwell on this, but he's benched after nine games. They're five and four. Eli Manning comes in. Uh, They lose six of their last seven. This is not about the 04 Giants. It's about the 07 Cardinals. The only thing I will say is that Kurt Warner had four or five really good games and was clearly running out of gas by by the time he was benched. Anyone who was actually watching the 04 Giants knew that it was time for him to be benched and that he should have been benched earlier. Um, lots of fumbles, lots of interceptions. He still had a big arm. He was still capable of making some plays. He was clearly a quarterback. And I say this, you know, knowing that it was wrong. He was a quarterback in the twilight of his career. Um, He's able to void the second year of his contract, leaves the Giants. Um, I have the article from when he signed in March of 05. Kurt Warner wanted long-term security. He actually doesn't get what he's looking for. He wanted a long-term deal. The only thing that was really out there for him was a one-year deal with the Cardinals. Cardinals got the free agent quarterback for $4 million dollars. Um, And the article here says, and because of the length of the contract, the team has also the flexibility to stick with incumbent starter Josh McCown if Kurt Warner doesn't work out. So this was not a guy that was brought in with a lot of fanfare. A one-year contract, they're not sure they're going to start him over Josh McCown, but he signs in 05. Um, 
ends up playing quite a bit in 05. Let me pull up the exact numbers. Yeah, in 2005, he plays in 10 games as the starter. He's 34 years old at this point. They only go two and eight in the games he starts. Going into 06, the Cardinals draft Matt Leinart. Matt Leinart plays. Matt Leinart plays a lot in 06. He gets Warner gets hurt. They go to Leinart. Leinart gets hurt. They go to Warner. So it's sort of a back and forth situation. You're talking about in 05. In 06 now, I'm sorry. Okay, so 06 is interesting. I they, might have misstated that. I was trying to follow it, and it was confusing. So I I, I, I found a couple news articles on this. So Wizenhunt comes in, and Leinart is the starter. But this is going on. into 07 now, the year we're supposed to be focusing on. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. You're right. I, I mixed it up by a year. Okay. So the, I think what you described in 06 was accurate, and then 07 is interesting. So keep yes. going. And that's the year we're supposed to talk about. So basically, this is all just by way of setting the table of, yeah, they have Kurt Warner. And yeah, with hindsight, you know, Kurt Warner still had a lot of really good years in them. Going into 2007, the last year Kurt Warner had that could be considered good was 2002. So it's been a long time. He's been in quarterback battles with a rookie, Eli Manning, Josh McCown, uh, Matt Leinart, who was drafted very high. But, you know, we know by the fact that his NFL career never really panned out that he was not destined to be a star. And it's this team is is a every indication of the old if you have two quarterbacks you have no quarterbacks thing for all appearances that's what this team looked like at this point going into 07 yeah but they yeah. start the year with Leinart as the starter but Wizenhunt is not convinced of that and two things that i noticed in both week 3 and 4 he pulls Leinart for Kurt Warner you know, in the middle of the game, he also had designed in the playbook. There was a specific package of plays that was only for Kurt Warner. So they were not just preparing him to be the backup. They were preparing him to be sort of this kind of separate part of the offensive game plan that they could go to whenever, I guess, liner was, was struggling. So there's a lot of bad feelings Stemming from what you talked about the year before or the couple of years before, but then also really extending into 07, even with the new coach, because he's not really co committing to a quarterback. And then, of course, in week five, Leinart fractures his collarbone. He's out for the year. And then all of a sudden it's, it's Kurt Warner's team. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a sign of a dysfunctional franchise. And it's one we've seen a lot. In with the Giants recently, and I guess with the Jets too, and even you living down where you live with Washington, they had just drafted Matt Leinart the year before under a different regime. Now you have a new coach with a second-year quarterback who might not have any interest in that quarterback. So that's where you see pretty quickly he's going to the veteran, or is it, he's at least showing some, um, you know, showing some preferences to trying to work the veteran into the game. And then I guess his decision in a lot of ways was made easier for him when Matt Leiner broke his collarbone and is out for the rest of the season. And here's the other thing I would say. This is a team that they play a lot of close games. They they lose in week one by three, win by three, lose by three, win by seven, win by three, lose by 15, lose by two. Then they lose by seven win by 10, win by eight, lose in overtime by six, win by six. Then they get a blowout loss by 21 to Seattle, lose by seven, win in overtime by three. And then their last game against uh, Kurt Warner's former Ram team is a, a 29 point victory blowout. But by then the, the season's basically over. So this is a team that could have been, you know, five and 11 and probably could also been 11 and five if a couple things went in different directions throughout the course of this year. And that's borne out by the fact that the following year they're good and they're in the Super Bowl. Yeah. So I think while you were counting that, I added up and I think they only, I think they only, let's see, I'm trying, I'm just counting how many games were by, were decided by more than one possession. Their first five games were all one possession games. Then they lost by 15. Like you mentioned is one win by 10 is two. Win by eight will count as one possession because it is three, 
they only had four games decided by more than one possession, and they were two and two in those games. So it's not like uh, you know, it's not like oh, they got blown out four times and then they won a bunch of close games. Um, you know, they're in the NFC West in 2007, which is not a bad division to be in from a difficulty standpoint. Seattle ends up winning the division, getting the four seed, uh, or no, the three three seed, excuse me, uh, and winning a Seattle who had game. been Seattle who had been to the um, Super Bowl two years ago, not not the year before, two years ago in 05. Two years before that, but this was a noticeably weaker team. That wasn't it wasn't quite the team that had been in 2005. I think they had a really bad year in 06, if I'm remembering correctly. Not that that super matters, but uh, they may have lost in the second round of the Bears. Never mind. I'm an idiot. Um, but, uh, you know, not a not a super tough division. They also play the NFC, the AFC North, which has a bad Bengals team and actually OK Browns team a Baltimore team that doesn't have much offense at the time. And then uh, Pittsburgh who wins the division, but doesn't uh, really shock anybody. Although interestingly enough, when they would play Pittsburgh in, uh, in week four and beat them 21 to 14, who would have known that the next time those two teams locked up would have been the next year's Super Bowl. Yep. <laughs> Believe it or not. Yep. That's, that's um, a really good point. But, uh, yeah. But um, you know, and then they played also the, uh, NFC South or no NF yeah the NFC South so like the Falcons and the Bucks and uh the Panthers so not a ton of um real dominant teams like we talked about and they and they at no point were I guess the furthest under 500 they got was 3 and 5 they were never over 500 at any point they were 0 and 1 1 and 1 1 and 2 3 and 2 now cuz they were over 500 at 3 and 2 but you know they lost three games in a row at one point. The most they ever won in a row was two at one point or at a couple of points, but um, no sort of singular uh, moments to talk about, even in terms of like, well, they weren't very good, but it was a really exciting game or anything like that. At least none that I can remember. Nothing that stood sort of the test of time in history with all those close games. You're sure that some of them were memorable. But like you said, they didn't play any teams that ended up doing anything that meant anything the rest of the season either. So it was a close game, but it was a close game in week 10 between two teams that weren't going anywhere. So what difference did it make? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was 15 years ago, so it's hard. But there was no like looking up the art. There was no like, oh, remember this sort of forgotten classic game? Nothing that I could see there. I mean, they played a few overtime games. One thing I will notice that they got they got three Hall of Famers or two Hall of Famers now and one presumptuous Hall of Famer, presumptive Hall of Famer, at, you know, all at the skill positions. Warner's in the Hall of Fame. Edgar and James, and this is sort of Edgar and James's last good year. 324 uh, rushes for uh, 1,222 yards and seven touchdowns. His last thousand rushing yards season, really his last full season. The following year on in the Super Bowl year, he uh, only plays in in uh, 13 games, only starts seven of them. I don't even know if James actually plays in the Super Bowl. I remember hearing him kind of complain as they were going on that Super Bowl run in 2008 that he wasn't getting the the attention that he wanted in the offense. But his last great year, one of Fitzgerald's, Larry Fitzgerald, who's going to the Hall of Fame one day, he's 24 years of age, 100 catches, 1,409 yards. This is his... Fourth le- fourth year in the league, the second time he's topped a hundred catches. It's um, it's, this is interesting. In, in two thousand five, he had one hundred and three catches. In two thousand seven, he had exactly a hundred catches. In both of those seasons, he had exactly fourteen hundred and nine <laughs> receiving yards. So he ties his then career high from two years ago exactly down to the yard. Fitzgerald that actually had a really good relationship with Dennis Green and was not happy to see Green go, but continues to perform increasingly well. And there are some people I feel like who talk about that Anquan Bolden is a potential Hall of Famer also. So there's yet another one. Um, three-time three-time Pro Bowler Bolden ends up with um, one, two, three, four, five, seven thousand yard uh, receiving seasons from Bolden. So yeah, potentially a potentially a dark horse Hall of Fame candidate in Anquan Bolden. So the offense has got a lot of firepower and a lot of guys who either had done great things or would go on to do great things for a team that only goes eight and eight. 
Yeah, and Bolden missed a lot of this year. This is actually one of the lower years of his statistically, if you look. But 05, he had 1,400 yards on 102 catches. 03, which I believe was his rookie year, he had 1,377 yards on 101 catches. 06, just the year before this, 1,200 yards. Um, the next year in 08, he's over 1,000. This year in 07 is his worst year in Arizona, or a second of worst year in Arizona. Uh, he only plays in 12 games. He gets 71 catches for 800 and change, which is still a really good year, but down a little bit. Fitzgerald was the third pick in the draft in 2004. He was, and it's it's funny because so much of 2004 gets written about in the context of the quarterbacks. You had the thing where Eli gets drafted, Eli Manning gets drafted one by the Chargers and, you know, had already said he wanted a trade. And then four, the Giants take Philip Rivers and they work a trade out. And Ben Roethlisberger gets picked a little while later. In the middle of all of that, the Cardinals pick Larry Fitzgerald, number third overall. And he goes on to be one of the greatest receivers of all time and is also as good as he was, is still a what if story due to the quarterback play that he had for most of his career. Right after this, he gets a few real years with Kurt Warner. 08, 09, um, maybe Warner plays in 10, I can't remember. But after that, it's it's back to the revolving door. Carson Palmer had a couple good years when he could stay on the field. But man, did Larry Fitzgerald have some poor quarterback play in his career. Warner's last year is 2009 when he is 38 years of age. So by that point, you're right. And then it's just... It's nothing much for, and he never leaves. He's like Joe Thomas. He never leaves Arizona. And I think he kind of, he was sort of like, you know, embedded in the community there and just never really wanted to leave. It was always kind of my understanding. Yep. And if you want to look at uh, consistency in 05, he had 103 catches for 1,409 yards in 07. He had 100 catches for 1,409 yards. Does that, and is that, is that, is that stat just as impressive as when I said it two minutes ago? The exact they had the exact same number two years in a row. Two years out of three. Two, oh, two years out of three. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'll edit that out to make my <laughs> stupid. Um, I was probably looking at Bolden's numbers. Um, and then in 08 was his best year, fourteen thirty one. So mm-hmm. you know he's right pocket of his career. But if you look at some of these other years, you know, 2015. 1,215 yards. I have no idea who the Cardinals quarterback was in 2015. I'm going to look it up right now. It was Carson Palmer. Okay, that was one of Palmer's good years, I think. But And that might have actually been the year they got to the AFC NFC Championship game and lost to the uh, Seahawks, I believe it was. But, um, you know, Fitzgerald, as good as he is, and it's how acknowledged is that, like, how good he is, is acknowledged, but he's still underrated. You were close in 15. They didn't lose to the Seahawks. They lost to Carolina 49 right. to 15 right. in a blowout. But yeah, here's some of the quarterbacks. After Warner retires, you got a year of Derek Anderson, then a couple of years of Kevin Kolb, then Palmer most years, although there's um, there's one year of Drew Stanton as the leading passer thrown in there, and then more Palmer, and then they got one year of Josh Rosen, and then he managed to pay. He got the last couple of years of his career with Kyler Murray, so he went out on a decent note, but... Even so, yeah, no, he he probably would have done more if he had somebody to throw to him. But again, he's one of those guys who I'm sure at some point could have left, but chose not to for whatever reason. And then the other thing you mentioned, Edgar and James at the beginning, um, Edgar and James was the leading rusher on the Cardinals in 2007, 324 carries for 1,222 yards. Second was J.J. Arrington. Would you like to guess how many yards J.J. Arrington ran for? Remember, James ran for 1,222. 306? 78. 78. I was going to carry 78 yards. I was going to guess a single digit number or a double digit number, but I thought that would just make me look foolish. So, yeah. Well, with Kurt Warner throwing the ball to Larry Fitzgerald and sometimes Anquan Bolden, you can understand why they didn't run the ball too much other than after Edger and James. But even even still, you know, that's that's a number from like the 60s where you have like one workhorse back. You know what I mean? Um, that's like I a number from the Ed, 80s. Edgar and James was uh, 29 this year in 2007. And I believe he's one of the prime examples people use when they talk about running backs being shot after 30. 
because mm. you look at the year he had it when he was 29 and then he's gone in two years. He's out of the league in a couple of years after that. Yeah, he's injured. Has, he's basically injured and or ineffective from there on out. On the defense, there's a couple of names that definitely are deserving to be talked about. Um, Calvin Pace is on this team who went on. This was his last year with Arizona and then went on and, and was sort of a staple for those Jets teams. First Rex Ryan and then a little bit after that. Uh, Carlos Dansby, who also enjoyed a long career, uh, was just sort of in the beginning phases of his career with Arizona, went on, has had a stretch with Miami, Cleveland, was actually back on Arizona twice. He was one of those guys. You also had, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I mentioned Antro Roll, uh, who went on to be a, uh, a giant, a staple of the Giants Super Bowl team in 2011. Roderick Hood, Darnell Dockett, who along with Fitzgerald was the only other pro bowler on the team. So there's some good defensive talent on this team. A lot of names. Um, they finished from a uh, ranking standpoint. I'm trying to figure this out. They were 27th in points against, which is kind of surprising when you consider some of those names on defense and actually seventh in uh, scoring offense. So the offense was a much better unit as I guess you could imagine with the talent, but um, yeah. usually you would think an eight and eight team, you think, okay, they're middle of the pack in both. Instead, it was a very good offensive unit and a very bad statistically defensive unit. You mentioned Darnell Dockett. He's the only other pro bowler along with Fitzgerald. Nine sacks and 16 starts. I think it's his only ever pro bowl appearance. Dockett, he's a defensive lineman. The other guy who was uh, I noticed was a guy by the name of Adrian Wilson, who was a safety for the Cardinals, who had been kind of a mainstay of the past several years. And he had he goes down with an injury during the season. And he that brings to an end his streak of 59 starts in a row. So he was sort of had sort of been the uh, a point of consistency for the Cardinals over those last few years. And this is their first non losing season since 2007 i'm sorry since since 1998 when we talked about when they had made the playoffs when they were still in the nfc east i think the other thing that's interesting is that they then go into the 08 season and even though they make the super bowl they only do it at nine and seven so it's not as if they are sort of drastically improved from the team a year ago, they just get hot at the right time in 08. They win the wild card playoff against Falcons by six points, blowout against the Panthers, but then the NFC title game, they only win by a touchdown against Philly. So it's not as if, okay, well, they were mediocre in 07, and then in 08, they just exploded and they were, you know, 12 and four or something like that. They were still a middle of the road team who just happened to get hot at the right time in 08. And I remember that 08 team was, um, they were the three seed, I believe. Like you said, they won that game against uh, against Atlanta. I remember that was, I think that was the Saturday game. Um, and that was Matt Ryan's first year. And then the second round, the, car, the top two seeds in the NFC that year were the Giants and the Panthers. And they both got beat. The Cardinals beat the crap out of the Panthers on a Saturday night. Uh, Jake Del Holm threw like three or four interceptions. He was horrible. And then the next day, the Giants lost to the Eagles. So I believe this was the first or no, it had happened in 06. But this was the Cardinals were home in the first round. were on the road in the second round. And then we're back home in the NFC championship game in 08. Um, and they had a big lead. The Eagles came back. They held them off. And then they played one of the classic Super Bowls of all time and lost to the Steelers. And it was funny that 08 calendar year. There were two sort of perennial loser franchises that had these miraculous runs to the championship round and then came up just short in the championship round because just a few months before this, the Tampa Bay Rays mm -hmm. had on, on a miraculous run. Theirs was a little less gradual than the, uh, than the uh, Cardinals was and got to the world series and lost to the Phillies. So um, two sort of out of nowhere teams in 2008. And I don't want to slight Darnell Dockett. He was actually a three-time Pro Bowler, 07, 09, and 2010 at defensive end for the Arizona Cardinals. So props to him for three Pro Bowl appearances in his career. I don't know what else there is to say. I think it's sort of, it's interesting to talk about a team 
that was kind of mediocre, stayed mediocre, but then a year later went on this crazy Pro Bowl, crazy uh, Super Bowl run. They've got some Hall of Famers. I am skeptical, uh, frankly, of the Hall of Fame credentials of Kurt Warner, but that might be a conversation for a different time. What else? What else we got on these guys before we wrap it up? So I did just want to point out, and, the, and the, like you said, yeah, this is kind of the, and nobody's making us do this, but this is sort of the perfect storm of like, it's a team that was recently enough that we can't talk a ton about how different the league was. They weren't so horrendously bad that there's a lot of hilarious stories. They weren't even good enough or like, you know, Oh, and they played new England and this happened. There's just not a lot with the games themselves. And the the thing to underscore that. And so it's funny because when you think about teams in the internet era, there's a lot more out there on, you know, random five and 11 teams than there is about, you know, teams that were amazing in the fifties and sixties, because just so much more survives now. So like, if you go to like, you know, the probably even the 70, maybe not the 72 dolphins, but like a team like that in the game summary, Wikipedia, it'll have like a box score and like a scoring summary. But then if you look at any team from the last five years, you'll have like a full recap of the game and, and everything. Um, the Wikipedia for all has, you know, lists all the games and and notes and everything for these um, Cardinal games that year, <laughs> but they get shorter and shorter. And when you get, when you get to week sixteen, which was a an overtime loss to the Falcons, you know, it's got the score by quarter, it's got the date, the location, the game start, the announcers, and then for like the paragraph, like the narrative summary. It says, with the win, the Cardinals improved to seven and eight. And that's, <laughs> the entire narrative discussion of the game was just after the game, this was their record. And then we're moving up. Um, so uh, it, oh, that was another thing. It, the next week, they beat up on the Rams. And it says, with the win, the Cardinals approved to eight and eight. 29-point victory allowed them to finish the season with a positive point differential for the first time since 1993. So that was the first year they'd had more points for than points against since 1993. And the only other thing I wanted to point out about that 08 team, which I was thinking about the other day, um, and I didn't put this together till later that year. That was when I was living in DC, or we were both, you and I were sharing a house in Alexandria. And I did one, uh, I had done games broadcasting on the radio in college, which was just a year before that at this point. And somehow through a connection at work, a coworker of mine said, oh, my friend does the Catholic University football games and he needs mm-hmm. somebody this week to do it. So I was doing the game. It was Catholic against somebody. I, I don't even remember. It was a Saturday afternoon. We we're doing the game on the radio. And you could see off in the distance, all of a sudden, there were guys in. It was the Arizona Cardinals were there to practice. And the reason was they had played. I forget whether it was the week before or whatever, but long story short, they they played the Redskins one of those weeks. Let me pull this up because I can figure it out. They played the Redskins one of those weeks, and then they had another East Coast game either the week before or the week after. So rather than flying back home, they decided to stay in um, on the East Coast and practice in D.C., let me, I'm, it was definitely in October. Yeah. So week three, they played the Redskins in Maryland. And then in week four, they played the Jets at uh, MetLife. They played the, right. they played the Jets at, oh, well, a giant stadium. But um, yeah, that's right. It was so, a giant stadium then. I believe that was, might have been either, must have been the day before the Redskin game because they wouldn't have still, the day before another mm-hmm. game they would have still been but i remember watching that and being like oh wow that's the arizona cardinals over there and then later that year they went to the super bowl um so just just a funny little aside but yeah you know it's it's not a team that's tremendously remarkable but that's kind of the point of this is to, is to talk about whoever wherever the wheel turns and this was a tough one but you know there's there's always little nuggets you can find in there absolutely all right, and you get a shorter episode sh- because we couldn't do more than an hour on this. All right, well, until next time, uh, thank you for joining us. And until next time, I'm Dan Newman. And I'm Andrew Newman. Goodbye, old sports. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. 
Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast. We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time, as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.